0: Welcome back, or welcome to Golf Nerds with Guy Cross, bringing you all the latest golf news. No, I tried to do like a proper radio intro. I, you know, I um, I used to do radio. I um, I once even did voiceovers for a while. Alfredo's Italian Restaurant. And all of that. Um, that's the one I remember. I did like a ton of adverts, but I remember doing this one for a restaurant in North Wales. Alfredo's. Um, I just, it's just something about the tonality of that word I actually kind of liked. Um, I liked my voice. I used that on my showreel when I had such a thing. Um, wow. Well fuck diddly d local radios a long time ago isn't it um i couldn't say that on the radio um not in drive time anyway so i um had some great time golfing this week um again just practicing not made it out to the course yet um the weather is sort of on the change here i think i'm just going to end up waiting for dry season to come back Um, and that's fine I have to admit right my local driving range where as a coach I hadn't liked and as a player it sucks you know so their terms and conditions for coaches to work there were uh, punitive to give them a polite friendly uh, title and the um, cost is a like it's 12 bucks for 100 golf balls which isn't that bad but it's only a 120 yard range um, and it wasn't even flat, so you couldn't, you've got, you could see where the ball was landing for about the first 40 yards, and then you're kind of winging it right down to 120 yards, and you could just see it again. Um, so you're really restricted on the shots you could practice properly. Um, but I went a couple of times just to hit a full bucket, but bucket, bucket of wedges. Um, but you know, 12 bucks, it was a lot of money, but now they've changed just, um, for the next six weeks, and hopefully it's something they keep on a couple of days a week, I guess they're quiet days, it's um, 19 bucks for as many balls as you want. Well, <laughs> that's good, isn't it? No, and that's, that's awesome. I don't mind doing that, especially um, it's the sort of thing I could do on a Friday. Um, I usually take my wife out for lunch on a Friday. But I also usually drop her at work. So I could drop her at work and then be there banging on the door when this pl- place opens at 9. And then hit golf balls through till, you know, 11.30. Um, get changed and go out with the missus for lunch. Um, and at 20 bucks a week, you know, you get to the point of you could actually join somewhere for that much. Not that anywhere here gives you free range where it's, you know, where you're paying just 100, 200 bucks a month. Um, so... Um, but still, you know, uh, once or twice a month, it's definitely worth it. They've also got a happy hour you buy one bucket and get one free. Which is fantastic, right? So it's good to see someone in Panama with a positive attitude towards golf. Um... I mean, they're only doing it to make money, but I think that's been a lot of my problems with golf in Panama. People have wanted to keep this air of exclusivity um, and then have gone bankrupt and closed or, you know, had no money for maintenance because they haven't had enough income and then their place looks crap and then it dies. Whereas here, if they take approaches like this, like make their golf course cheaper or their golf facility, people come and use it and have money to keep the place looking nice for their prime time customers who care about spending a little more money. Um, so hopefully they you know, keep this up for two years before I leave Panama. Then I'm hopefully gonna join a reasonably priced golf club in the UK with practice facilities, even if I have to go and get my own golf balls with a shag bag, I mean, I fucking love that. Um, anyway, right? So I've been golfing a bit, I've hit quite a few balls. Um, I've been really excited about putting my vintage golf clubs together. Um, I'm all over eBay at the moment trying to find the dream set. Um, Barney, the just your average golfer on YouTube, sent me an email because I mentioned him a podcast or so ago, and here I am mentioning him again because I'm going to implement his seven club dream in my vintage golf bag. I just had this revelation that when I've been playing older golf clubs, I've been amazed at the, the feel and responsiveness from the older shafts, from the older heads, heavier and softer, generally, um, that I could play a lot more shots really easily. Well then with that in mind, how much easier and more fun would it be to play with a half set? So then, that answers a question in my mind because I couldn't decide whether to go get some Ping I2 um, irons and maybe like tailor-made tour burner type style woods or to go straight blades and persimmon. And I couldn't couldn't work out which would be the most fun um, to use, both from the side of, you know, which would be the most fun to hit and, you know, which would I actually play better golf with? Um, but just have two half sets. And then I've got this really cool uh, manganese bronze ping answer from, from the 70s. All ready to go. And I've got this really cool bullseye le Femme. All ready to go. So I've got my putter I've got this, obviously the coolest sandwich in history is the Ping I2 in brilliant copper. And if you disagree with me, you're just wrong. So I've got that ready to rock. So think about it. I've got all these dreams just in front of me. Um, and I was trying to bring two ideas into one golf bag, but I don't have to. I just have two smaller golf bags. Um, and on eBay now, people try and cash in... Um, on golfers who have a vintage set and are just looking for a spare iron so they'll split up a set of Ping or Mizuno or Hogan's individually but as I'm in no hurry to buy I can find one of those listings when they're new on buy you know 468 pitching wedge or 3579 whatever And um, build my bag that way. So I'm very excited. Now, I don't know if I've explained to you, dear listener, my background as a golfer in slow time. And I'd like to do that today because it's going to lead into something that's sparked my interest. And by sparked my interest, I mean pissed me off when I read it about it. I was... An outraged liberal golfer, and I'm ashamed that I get triggered by stuff, but then I do. So here I am. So let me tell you, I um, got interested in golf very, in a very small way when I was about ten, and there was just this um, decent pitch and putt golf course um, near my dad's office. And so, I guess what happened was, now and again, because I don't remember the details, and my dad's not quite around, well, he's dead, so I can't ask him. Uh, my dad, I'd be off school for some reason, or my dad would have to work weekends. He'd drop me off at the Pitch and park, go into work for a couple of hours, and then, um... And then, after that, pick me up and, and go home. And I, I, you know, on the odd occasion that happened, I really enjoyed it. And then I think I watched golf on TV. And there was something about the distance the pro golfers of the time hit the golf ball that absolutely fascinated me. Like being able to hit, when I realized that these guys were hitting a golf ball 250 yards with some control. And then standing, you know, on a soccer pitch and going, that's two times this and then some. Like, that's, that was pretty cool, right? And then we lived next to golf courses because North Wales is one of the best golfing regions on the entire planet. So, you know, being able to just, you know, as you're walking around your town or village, see a golf course, and you'd see, you know, the tees are often by the roads, so and you go, look, that hole's 400 yards. And I was beginning to understand part, like, they'd hit, they'd get it from here into that tiny hole in four shots. That's, that's amazing. Um... So that, that captivated me about golf. So um, my 12th birthday, I remember um, I had a bit of a fight. I don't remember how it came about, but I did have a little bit of a fight with my mum and dad about something. And they said, well, what would make you happy? What could you do? What, what would make you happy? And I said, I'd love some golf clubs. I could go up to the golf course up the road and play golf whenever I wanted. I'd love that. Um, and it was sincere. So, um, my mum and dad didn't have much money. So, you know, had I been more sensitive, I probably realised have just asked for an invite to the most expensive sport they could ever imagine, this side of motor racing. So, um, they investigated how much golf was and were surprised by how cheap it was. So, they bought me... Um, I remember having a five iron, a seven iron, a nine iron, and a three wood and a putter, was my first golf clubs, all used in this tiny, like, blue pencil bag, but I loved them, like, they were my golf clubs, right, um, and, you know, it probably came with a handful of golf balls from the used golf ball bin in the shop, which is called Bunkered in Bangor, North Wales, um, membership of the local club for a junior was £20, you know, $30, um, as we stand a few days before Brexit. And then, um, and then I just went up after school every day. I used to, like, run around nine holes. I had an induction to the game from the junior organiser who's this wonderful old man called Tom Jones, um, whose memory lives on in this golf club. And, um, You know, it's just fantastic, just fantastic that this guy would take, took me around for a few holes and then um, he just sort of set me free on the golf course and I'd go up every day after school. Um, And I remember once, like I was hacking around as you can imagine, I remember once, I was probably no more between six months and a year into the game. I don't know how it happened. But this golf course was 9 holes par 3, so par was 27, and I was genuinely 1 or 2 over the course through 7, and uh, no, through 6, 7th hole, I can picture it because I've, I've played the course reasonably recently as well, um, is 110 yards par 3, now some of the par 3's are much longer, don't think this is a joke course. Um, And the green's like a postage stamp and it's, um, you know, like an upturned bowl. It is a rock-hard hole. It's one of those in-between par holes-ish, except it's between a two and a three. Um, You can roll one up now as as a decent golfer. And, you know, you might get caught in the fringe, you might roll through, but you get caught in the back fringe. Um, But as long as you dodge the bunker and some massive drop-offs... Um, you pretty much guaranteed a, you know, a very easy chip and a pop. Walk off with a pop. But if you want to get close, you've got to fly in with all the backspin in the world to hang on to that green. And that green is very small target. So anyway, I remember I can picture this shot um, with my 9-iron, which I can also picture. And it's chamois, brown chamois grip. And I... Um, yeah, I hit this shot. Started off down the left, cut back in towards the flag, and I thought I'd flip in. Well, I didn't. You know, I didn't think anything as cool as flipping jarred it. I was like, "Good grief, oh my! That might be a hole in one. Oh wow! I've made a hole in one." Ran up to the hole. I hadn't. I'd stuck it to a few feet. Um, I made the putt, so I'm now one over through seven. Now, hole eight there is tough. Like, when I played it the other... Last time I played that course, as a pro, I stood on that tee, like, just thinking to myself, like, how the fuck? Like, what do I... It's blind. So it's a blind par three that's about 160, 170 yards. Um, I've got nothing. Like, there's a black and white stake in the ground that tells you vaguely where to hit towards the green. And, you know... I'm a pro golfer, I don't expect to be hitting vaguely towards the green. From, you know, with a seven, eight iron in my hand, I wanna decide which side of the green I'm gonna hit, and and I'm like, how do you ever make par? Let alone anything better on this hole. So, that was recently. As a kid, I was probably much more foolhardy, and I hit my three-wood, I had this huge slice. And um, again, I remember this shot, I, I can see it flying my memory hit this low slicey three wood that probably landed about halfway. took a couple of good bounces and landed up on the fringe and um two putted and one over standing on the ninth tee like it does not get any better than this now um and so far I'm happy to tell you that this result of being one over par was was almost exclusively down to luck Stars are aligned, etc etc. And um and I hit this um uh, 9 again and I bladed the flip out of it right. But it's flying right for the green, it's about 120 downhill. You can actually hit it with a putter if you know the line, but I didn't know the nine then so I have it on. slides straight down the hill. I had my 9-9, bladed it, flies straight at the green and can you imagine um, it was one of those bladed shots that had tons of spin on it and it landed on the green and stuck and I'm just like oh my life oh my life I could make par I could make birdie and walk off level par um, now I didn't, I two putted walked off 28 I don't think I even told anyone I probably went home and told my dad that I played good golf and uh, you know like all of us when we shoot a good score like I think I'm ready for the tour now um but it was it was awesome awesome golf course and from those experiences I was confident enough to start playing in competitions I sucked like I'm no junior protege I sucked um in a minute you can hear me order coffee in Spanish right it's gonna be a thrill for you um so I um played in competitions and then, you know, my golf ambitions probably and a bit arrogantly outgrew that golf course and around the time my parents moved house so I took it as a chance to, um, to move up and I moved to a proper 18-hole course. Bit snobby. Didn't 100% get on with everyone there but, you know, when you're a decent golfer people kind of make allowances for you being anything different from the norm. So, um, So there I was, and there weren't quite enough junior competitions. Right, coffee time. No, it's not my turn yet. Um, There weren't quite enough junior competitions to scratch my competitive itches. And I knew once I got down to 18, I was allowed to play in men's competitions. So that became my target. Um, And I think I was off about 20 when I moved, so I just had to get into a couple of junior competitions, score well and um, get my handicap down Then I was allowed to play off the white tees, the competition tees, and therefore I was allowed to play in men's competitions. That was my target. At this point, I'd been playing golf for about 18 months all in. Um, so I did that, and then like this whole world opened to me of, of competitive golf. Right, now now, now I get to hear this. Um, it's amazing amazing Spanish coming out. I could pause it, right, but I'm not going to because I, I think you want to hear it this minute. Hola. Buenas noches. Uh, Puedo uh, un café latte? Café latte. Con leche desgramada? Sí. ¿De qué tamaño lo desea? Ah, grande, por favor. Caliente. Sí. ¿Su nombre? David. ¿Algo más, señor? Nada más. Gracias. And that's how it's done, that's how you would coffee in Spanish. Gracias. Um, so, it opened this world of competition for me, and um, what, was, um, what was fantastic was I played competitions every weekend, and I did, and I had like adult male golfers who, I don't know if it was foolish, but I considered his friends. He was one of my golfing guys. Uh, this guy called Ron, um, who's so kind to me. We played in doubles games together. We won everything. I kept getting better, but the British handicap system was quite slow to move your handicap, so I was quite a bandit off eighteen. Uh, and he knew that. And he knew we were winning everything. We, we used to rape these match play tournaments as a team, and it was fantastic. I was in my element. Um, I look back at those days of just beginning to compete at some of my fondest golfing memories. Um, Ron, if by some amazing thing you're listening to this, please hit me the flip up. Um, Because I'm out of touch with almost everyone from those days. In fact, actually everyone. And then anyway... I, that's how I started being a true golfer. That's how I found my love of competition. Even though I often sucked and I still learned how to choke then. Um, I, I was just competing and I loved it. And that's how I got good and that's how I turned pro. Um, you know, that was, that's my golfing story. And we won loads of tournaments that gave me a buzz. And looking back, the guys were gracious enough to let me play in their games. They were gracious enough to let me take their money. Um, They were gracious enough to do all of these things. Um, But I guess, and I've never been a regular adult member of a golf club, but I hope to change that soon. Um, Or when I go back to the UK. Um, I thought my coffee was ready then. Um, So I hope to change that. I guess that's part of it. You're investing in the kids and the juniors. Mm-hmm. Ah, gracias. In um so sorry my coffee yeah. just arrived, you may have heard it. Um, do I need to explain why they called David and not Guy? Let me tell you why. Because there's only so many times you can have someone write gay on a car. And um, not have your manhood challenged so i just say my name's david because it's easier my middle name's david um so anyway back back to the story so yeah I challenged you know the members were challenged a bit i think their generosity of spirit was probably challenged uh guys just uh uber driver and packers caps so just walked by me i watched a little bit of the raiders packers game it's very good anyway so them their um their goodwill was challenged but i'm grateful and genuinely humbled by their generous spirit and i want to give back to that and it's why even though i'm not rich and stuff i've whenever i have the chance i donate prizes to my old junior golf club which is the nine holer because the fancy 18 has got plenty of money in a pro shop the nine holer doesn't and so whenever you know um I was, and I sort of still officially am, I haven't decided 100% where I'm going, uh, you know, Team Cobra Puma. Um, so whenever I got off-brand gear given to me, I'd save it in a big bag and give it to the junior section. Or you know, I'd play corporate golf events, um, they'd give me a box of golf balls that I really I don't want to use. You know, I know a dozen strips on soft feel or whatever. Tyler's true Soft, That's going to make some kid happy. Um, I often go to golf events, and now we'll actually say, "Hey, if you've got any merch left over, I've got. I support this golf club. Full of kids with no money. Um, I can get them to do all the social media you want, but just give me whatever you've got. And you know, they know because I'm getting free stuff from Puma and uh, various places and all of that and generally I don't need I'm not hurting for a golf cap or two they've guys have given me like bags of golf caps t-shirts golf balls again if you are in that position you could help me out I will pay shipping hook a motherfucker up please um cuz these are kids who don't have a first tee program or anything so they're not cool enough anyway why am I telling you my golfing history? Because that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. I could probably retell it through my parents' eyes and my parents' perspective. And I might do that another day. Um, because, I'm telling you because, I saw a tweet um, from Ladies Golf Media. Because I follow a few of the wonderful people in ladies golf media now, or women's golf. I'm not comfortable quite with that term yet because I actually like calling ladies a lady. It's a compliment, it's not a derogatory term. Um, So, about this golf club. Uh, I think it's called Thonbury or Thonabry. I did write it down, but I've left my notes in Starbucks. Um, and it's on my Twitter, but I'm recording this. Shall I have a look? Because let's name and shame these losers. This golf club, Thonic Park. Thonic Park Golf Club in England, right? Do you know what these losers did? So let's start the story. They're a regular golf club with a buzzing girls' golf program, a junior golf program, of which some of those juniors are naturally girls because 50% of the population roughly are Um, and you know they've taken the right step they let the good girl golfers play in the adult tournaments probably for the same reason right there's some girls there who are chomping at the bit to play competitive golf if they're not gonna slow down or or you know cause a pain in the backside for the adult members let them play in the adult comps You know, they put more money into the club, they cause no negative impact. But do you know what this shithole club has done? I use the term, yep, again, i thought it through, I'm going to use it again, the shithole club have done. They've banned their junior girls from winning these tournaments. So that's right, so they'll take the money from these girls, right, because I'm sure they're not playing for free. I'm sure it's not much money, but it's some money. Especially some girls got paper rounds or whatever, part-time jobs to pay their entry fees, you fucking shithole golf course. They're paying their entry fees, but you won't let them win. Do you know why? Because fat Doris is upset that she's lost her track on free Pro V1s because some young, thin, beautiful girl, I've seen the pictures of them, they're all young and amazingly pretty, powerful, strong girl golfers has robbed off with Fat Doris' free Pro V1 supply. Fuck you, Fat Doris. I left a pause there. One, to have a drink of coffee. Two, for you all to realise that I just said, fuck you, Fat Doris. I've no idea what the members are called, right? If there is a member there called Doris who is carrying a little more weight and she is upset about her lack of prizes from a golf tournament, my, com- my comments stand... And if you have a problem with them, please bring them to me and we can have a frank and open debate about your lifestyle choices, your name, and your attitudes towards junior golf. Um, if there isn't anyone there, or, you know, look, it is mostly fictitious, this. Um, no pets were harmed in the making of this podcast, right? But I'm entitled to my opinion, and fuck you, Fat Doris. And all the Fat Dorises of the world that are stopping amazing junior golfers win prizes what the fuck like why would you do that oh you know these girls they're winning all our prizes and we don't want to encourage the girls to feel good about themselves or be successful so fuck them we'll just take their entrance fees and use the money to buy ourselves pro v ones yeah fuck you fat doris I'm really glad I haven't read the article in too much detail for a few days, so I can't remember any of the names involved. I'm just making, um, you know, just making a point. Now, haha, <laughs> I did just click on the article on my phone, and apparently the ladies have cancelled the vote. So, whatever was the golf course called, Thonic Park Golf Clubs congratulations on a good decision whichever fat doris proposed that fuck you but the rest of you guys i hope it was just common decency that made you overturn that and not just being shamed on social media although i don't care because what it's about is the result and to all you other fat dorises listen to this male or female fat dorises that want to incur my wrath, please impinge on the joy that junior golfers take on the game. Can I tell you another story? And we'll wrap on this one. What's the, uh, what's the time now? Let me just have a look. We've been rolling for 30 minutes. I have three children and one of them is passionate in an after-school activity. Um, so much so, he's thinking about making it his career He's only 8, but he's in a field where, to be honest, he needs to make the call before he's 10. Um, because if he's not putting the hours in by the time he's 10 or 11, he won't have a chance to live his dream. Now, that's, that's challenging for me as a parent, right? And as a sports coach, because you might have heard me say, I believe in kids having a varied, broad sporting outlook. Uh, My kid has chosen a field which actively discourages that And I think they're wrong And I challenge that But you know it's also a field Probably because of oppressive attitudes like this one Like I just said about um, Quashing um, creativity and multi-talented kids Being able to express their multi-talentedness And to be honest I'm not sure my kid is multi-talented but you know what? I'd like him to have the chance to find out. Anyway, oh, it's a really cool Land over there. Just going to gore pat it. Is it a V8? No, it's a diesel. I've got a diesel. One. Same as mine, then it's fine. Anyway, um, yeah. So this field of uh, physical endeavour is struggling for numbers, especially from boys. And um, while my son was away on holiday with me back in the summer, his best friend, who he saw on holiday for the first time in five years, gave him a little bracelet. And he said, I'm going to wear that until it falls off. Then I'm going to keep it safe in my treasure's box. You know, my heart's breaking for the boy, right? He sees his best friend once in four years. He's eight and he came up with that. Unprompted. So anyway, he's been having it on. His, um, well, the administrator at the facility he practises at says, oh, he's got to take that off. I naturally said, go fuck yourself. But in more polite terms, but I really wanted to say, go fuck yourself. But I expressed how his best friend and um, all of this stuff and, you know, just told the story about he's he's promised until it falls off. And look, it's falling to pieces. Give Give him a couple of weeks and it'll fall off. And like he's got a big, um, you know, performance type event coming up in December. And I said, and it, and it would be inappropriate to have that on. Then I said, Look, I'll make sure he takes it off before December, but if it's still on, but please, can we just let this run its course? Keep my little boy happy, please. No, because we got a rule. But I said, Well, what about if you change a rule? That would make me happy as a client and my son happy as a human. So make a good business and human decision here. No, we've got a rule. Now, I didn't hit her or swear her at this point, but the thought crossed my mind. Um, do you know what? My son, who's bigger than this person emotionally, on the way home said, Dad, thank you for fighting my corner there. I really don't want to take my thing off, my bracelet. But equally, I don't want... I know I'm going to have to do it anyway. So why don't I just take it off now and I can put it back on um, after the performance thing. And we'll just tell him that's what we're going to do. Like that was a way better solution than I had. He's eight. Okay. Um, Because I was like, how about we find you a new place to practice? Um, Because, you know, Fat Doris is putting the rules down. Anyway, so I sent, um, I'm just going to call her Fat Doris. It's not her name and she's not fat. Um, I sent, Fat Doris a text saying, look, Julius has uh, decided not to, um, to take that off, but he's going to put it back on after the thing in December, and, and I support him in that, and I hope you do too. Um, she had to go at me again tonight, just before I started rolling on this. It's why I've gone for a walk to buy a coffee so I don't have to hang around there waiting for the kid to finish his class. Yeah, how, are oh, we well, you know, we can't make exceptions. I was like, you literally can. You are the sole holder of all of these rules. And let's be honest, you've only got about eight clients and two of them I know are thinking of leaving. And now that's three. Thinking of leaving, you need to get a grip. I expressed that to her in really gentle, soft terms. Um, oh no, but rules are very important. I'm like, well, they're not more important than my son. Like, there are some rules that are important, like, thou shalt not kill, but thou shalt not wear a bit of string in dance class around your wrist. It's just not important. And literally, this is a bit of string we're talking about. Like, his head teacher at his really fancy international school, um, where, like, the cream of the crop of this whole country go to, heard the story and went, oh, that's adorable. Yeah, of course he can wear it until it falls off. Like, you know, happily made an exception. Local dance school, though, not so much. And see, golf and many other activities that are struggling can learn from moments like this. Your rules are not as important as the kids. The kids are what is important. These are not the golfers of tomorrow. These are not the dancers of tomorrow. These are not the volleyball players, the chess players of tomorrow. They are the golfers of today. Treat these people with the respect you treat an adult. And that way... And that way you will find your sport, or whatever, doesn't die. Because the kids who come will feel amazed. Their self-esteem will grow as a result of your choices and you expressing how how much you care about these kids. Because as coaches, good junior coaches will throw the mantra at you. Kids don't care what you know until you know until they know you care. And that's true. But they need to hear that from more than their coach. They need to hear that organizationally from all these games. Now, you've had to put up with 36 minutes of me swearing at you to get that gem, and I salute your stamina. If you're involved in any form of kids activity, not just as a coach, administratively, even just as a parent, encourage those organizations in any game to treat those sports people Not as the sports people of tomorrow, not as the performers of tomorrow, but as the performers of today. Give them the same respect you give adults. Treat them as high-paying customers. And um, you watch your place flourish. I guarantee it. Right, 37 minutes 42. My coffee's getting cold. So I'm going to go. I hope you enjoyed it. See y'all next week.